When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. Again, time to go through draft picks, and it's Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, the second round pick for the Browns. He gets the full Gotta Watch the Tape treatment today. JOK, I'm glad we waited a little bit longer on this one. Let's start going in order of the draft pick. So Newsom was first last week. If you didn't listen to the Greg Newsom breakdown, make sure you go get that in your orange and brown talk feed. Now we're doing JOK. We're a little we're a day late because we did the schedule breakdown as a Thursday pod because it just got released on Wednesday night, as you know. But man, some of the praise nationally for this pick. I didn't listen to the thing, but I saw some headline where like, Peter Schrager from the NFL Network was comparing this pick in some way, I think, to like Tom Brady going in the sixth round. And it's like, okay, I guess that's good. But man, that might be a little far. So people are excited. He's going to be a major part of the defense in the second half of this podcast. Ellis Williams will break down plays and film to talk about what kind of player he is. But first, Scott Pasco with the numbers overview on Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. Scott Pasco, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Yeah, I'm going to have a comparison later on uh, in my section here. It's not going to be Tom Brady-esque, but it will be pretty good, I think, if you're a Browns fan. But okay. let's start with an overview of uh, of Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. And that's the last time I'm going to say his full name because I'm too lazy to say his full name. He's going to be J-O-K from, from here on forward. My apologies to his parents. It's a wonderful name. They did a good job, but I'm just not going to say the whole thing. So J-O-K... Two-year starter at Notre Dame. He redshirted his freshman year, had a foot injury uh, <clears throat> that cost him like all but two games of his second season. So basically, he's a two-year, two-year guy in college. Um, 2019, he returned. He led Notre Dame in tackles and tackles for loss and sacks. And then last season, he won the Butkus Award as the nation's top linebacker. And it's funny because when I was describing him as a linebacker leading up to the draft, I kept getting angry texts. He's not a linebacker. Like we need to come up with some sort of new position for a guy like him, but the Browns are calling him a linebacker. So that's, that's what we're going to do. Um, so he did all that winning the Butkus award, leading his team in tackles, tackles for loss um, while getting the majority of his snaps in the slot instead of in the box area where linebackers normally roam around. He topped 300 snaps in 2019 and 2020 in the slot and a little over 200 in the, in snaps in the box in both those seasons so not I guess traditionally what what we think of uh, as a linebacker which again leads to the whole conversation around him is uh, is his versatility pro football focus is a big fan uh, he graded 82.3 in coverage 75 and a half against the run 72.1 as a pass rusher that's like the holy grail of linebacker ability right there like that's everything you could possibly want from a linebacker in the NFL, whether or not you want to make them, you know, an outside linebacker in, in a three, four, that's, that's rushing the passer or whether you want him to do multiple things in, in a different scheme, but he's good across the board. That's why he was so hyped uh, coming out of college. Not many linebackers excel at all of those things. Like guys like Micah Parsons, Zayvon Collins, uh, Jamin Davis. So I just want to call Jamin Davis. It is Jamin, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, I think that, that's I right. It should be jamming. But anyways, those are all linebackers drafted before uh, JOK. It, but those aren't guys who excelled across the board uh, in college the way he did. Um, not to say that they can't do that in the pros. At his pro day, JOK showed off all of those abilities. In the 40-yard dash, he ran 4.37, which would have been the fastest time for a linebacker at the NFL Combine going back to 2017, according to Pro Football Reference. Um, so again, he moves very good if you want to consider him a linebacker. So when the Browns are talking about getting faster on defense this off season, JOK is involved in that. There's a video on, on uh, social media and I'm not sure if, if this is one that 
that Ellis is going to use later on in this pod of him tracking uh, Heisman Trophy winner Devonta David or Devonta Smith down the middle of the field on a seam route, which just kind of shows his ability to to turn and run with just about anybody. Um, but beyond that, uh, his broad and vertical jumps at his pro day ranked in the hundredth and 99th percentiles for linebackers. And we think of those drills as measuring explosiveness. They aren't really for evaluating linebackers so much as they are for like linemen and wide receivers, cornerbacks, guys who need to get off the line quickly, but still it's, it's impressive. He did not do the three cone or the 20 yard shuttle, which shows like change of direction and body control, which would be great things. I think he would excel at, um, but he didn't do that. But like I said, there's plenty on his film, and I'm sure we're going to see it and hear about it when Ellis gets to his portion of of him showing off that electability and change of direction and things like that. But that's kind of an overview of where we're at. Yeah, he was super hyped. He fell. We found out that it could have been because of uh, heart issues that people thought he might have. The Browns kind of squashed that. Um and said that wasn't a concern, but they're getting a guy that everybody considers a steal, a guy who's versatile, a guy who it seems can do just about everything from the linebacker spot. He does remind me of Greg Newsom in this way. When you look at, I mean, Notre Dame is like a step above Northwestern, obviously, as a program, but Notre Dame the last two years made the playoff last year, was 10 and 2 overall. 2019, Notre Dame was 11 and 2 and finished 12th in the AP poll. And Notre Dame is a defensive program. In, in 2019, they were the fifth best defense in the country. Last year, they were the 24th best defense. The offense was actually ranked a little bit higher. But that's kind of what they've done, right? I mean, when they were in the national championship game in 2013 or whatever it is, uh, Manti Teow, right? Like that was, it was a de- that's what they are. And again, this is a defensive program. And he's the best defensive player on it just like Greg Newsom with Northwestern. And I mean, we can get into this at some point. It's, it's hard to read. Listen, if there's a great division three player some year and the Browns love him, they'll draft him. But it's a guy who's from a big program playing big time games on the def- for a big time defense. And he's the best guy. And Ellis, like, I don't know. It seems like it matters at least a little bit, at least a little bit to the Browns and how they evaluate guys. This guy was on the field you know, against Trevor Lawrence. This guy's on the field against Alabama. This guy's on the field against the best teams in the country, and he was the best linebacker in the country. Yeah, without a doubt, and, and that matters. You know, you we're going to get into his game tape in the back end of this, and it's all Alabama reps. And I, I picked those for a specific reason. You know, you, you could put on the the – Pittsburgh tape you could put on the Georgia Tech tape when Notre Dame just throttles these teams Louisville and in a way that with the Greg Newsom film you know as Doug was ranting about the Big Ten quarterbacks you see so much good from Greg Newsom but you have to keep the level of comp in mind you're going to see some more suspect plays from JOK but that's the point it's Alabama and that sideline speed is there and at the end of the day he was the best defensive player on a, a solid defense and that sideline to sideline speed translates at any level. It's funny, Scott, that you mentioned that Devontae Smith play of JOK covering him down the seam because perhaps the most infamous play from the national championship game for Ohio State is Tough Borland, their middle linebacker, trying to cover Devontae Ryan Smith down the seam. And, chugging. <laughs> and that's why Tough Borland was not picked in the first two rounds of the NFL draft. And again, that's not tough Borland's fault. That's a bad matchup by the coaches. But anyway, I mean, that's, a, that's a rare thing, right? That That's the whole thing, Scott. It seemed like this guy's rare. And when you talk about those numbers like that, that's, that's what you're saying that like to, to have numbers in all these different categories, even other great players don't have that. This guy's different. That seems like we already have established that right off the top of this pod. He's different. Yeah, and so then you get into the question of like, all right, so he's different, but how do the Browns use him, right? Yeah. That's the big question. Mm-hmm. Like, where does he fit in? And it seems the Browns, uh, similar to, to how they talked about um, Demetric Felton, uh, running back slash slot guy, they came out and said he's going to start in a running back room. Well, JOK is talked about as a linebacker, and that's how we're going to kind of frame him here first. And we know that the Browns don't use – three linebackers very often. So like what spot could he be used in? And I think to figure that out, we kind of have to look at um, a little bit of what they got 
already on the roster, or at least what they had before they brought him in. Because the three guys you figured they would be starting before they added JOK were, uh, and I don't know if we talked about it in this podcast or another, but Anthony Walker in the middle, flanked by Sione Takitaki and Malcolm Smith. That seemed like the most logical trio based on experience and really kind of how they started last year. Um, it was, you know, it was Goodson, Takitaki, and Wilson early in camp. So you're basically just switching out a couple guys. So to me, that seems like a <coughs> trio. So where does JOK fit in, in that? Anthony Walker is basically a BJ Goodson replacement. He has similar abilities. The big thing is he come here, comes here with more experience. He played over 700 snaps the last few years. So he's not in a situation where he's suddenly the three down guy getting a ton of snaps and never done that like Goodson did. He's not as good athletically as JOK in any area, but experience and intelligence matters. And that's really why the Browns went after Walker. Everybody raved about his smarts. And I think we've even gone over the fact that he played in a defense that's very similar to, to what the Browns are trying to do. Taki Taki, one of the best run defenders in the league last year among linebackers. He matches JOK in explosiveness, but definitely not in mobility or coverage. And then there's Malcolm Smith, who, again, bridges experience, and that matters. He was not the coverage linebacker. He was early. He's, he's a better coverage linebacker now than he was earlier in his career. And he's, he's talked about that, but he's been up and down as a run defender, not the complete guy. And he did not get a ton of snaps against the run. He got the third most snaps in the slot of his career. So those are the three guys you start, who you figure are, are the starters who need to be knocked out. Then there's Jacob Phillips. He had the team's worst defensive grade last year as a rookie trying to figure things out. He had injury issues. We don't know yet what he's going to be, but it seems kind of clear that B.J. Goodson had his spot last year and Anthony Walker is kind of in it this year. He came to the NFL as a guy who was a good tackler, good against the run, did not get a lot of coverage opportunities at LSU and didn't do well when he did get them. So, again, it's a guy who excels kind of at one, one area and not the full gamut of things he'd have to do. And then there's Mac Wilson, who everybody seemed quick to shove out the door as soon as that JOK pick was made. The poor guy was just retweeting things on social media that, that you know, quote unquote fans were, were saying to him. It wasn't pretty. Um, he showed off coverage ability at Alabama. It hasn't translated to the NFL. He's been below average pretty much across the board. So, again, where does JOK fit into that? He's not a middle linebacker. At least that's not how, how he, what he did at Notre Dame. He's not competing with Walker or Phillips. Taki Taki had just 17% of his snaps in the slot last season. He was the linebacker who came off the field first in nickel. That doesn't figure to be JOK's spot. So you're looking at Smith and Wilson as the guys that JOK is competing with. And like I said, there's been a lot of talk that Wilson figures to be the odd man out based on experience and ability and what we've seen from them so far. But the wrench in all this is that we don't really know what we're going to get from Joe Woods' defense because they're basically hitting the reset button this year. He could have eight or nine new starters. And not only that, more players with more versatility, like JOK. And it isn't just you know him. It's, it's guys on the defensive line. This guy's behind him uh, at safety. So he definitely stands out among the other linebackers. Nobody else has shown the ability to excel in so many different ways as him. At this point, he figures to be uh, the coverage guy. He figures to be battling with Smith for that starting spot. But we all heard about the Browns drawing things up on the whiteboard as soon as they were, were making that pick. And I don't think they were just trying to figure out, oh, yeah, we can just place him in here at, uh, you know, in nickel and have him move on the slot. And that's it. I, they clearly have bigger plans for him than that. But it would seem that Smith and Wilson are the two guys who need to be the most concerned now that they have JOK. Okay. There's a couple different things I want to do off of that. Let me go big picture for a second first, because it seems like the, <clears throat> he, he's not a linebacker that you'd a hundred percent have in the game, like in the box against a run heavy team. that's just going to slam the ball right into your, into your defensive line play after play. But then I, I just looked really quickly at the DVO rankings of the best rushing teams in the league last year. And I'm trying to figure out like how many teams would fit that description in the NFL anymore, because like the Ravens are practically the runningest team in the NFL, but like JOK, we think like JOK is like the Lamar Jackson stopper. Like, of course he's on the field against Baltimore. That's huge. So I'm looking at like the teams that 
in DVOA, the, the it, leading rush DVOA last year. New Orleans won Tennessee two, Baltimore three, Rams four, Green Bay five, Minnesota six. Is it just Tennessee? Is like is JOK like maybe you don't have JOK in the game as much when Derrick Henry's carrying it thirty five times? But other than that, against the other thirty teams in the league, he's exactly what you want. I'm trying to think like. You know, in the Big Ten with Ohio State, when you think about like hybrid positions and stuff, it's like, well, when you play Wisconsin, right, you're going to do this. Well, when you play Iowa, there's a little more of that. In the modern NFL, Ellis, how many, how many teams would he not fit against? Is it just Tennessee? Are there more that I'm not thinking of? Could you even play him against Derrick Henry? 70 snaps? I think Minnesota is the only other team you can put on that list, and it doesn't matter because Minnesota is the NFC. Of course, it matters this year because they will play in Minnesota. But, you know, Dalvin Cook's a guy who can get 30 carries in a game. That's the only other team I'd put on that list. And I'm so glad we're talking about this, Doug, because it is a trend, I think, an ugly sore spot in the NFL right now among play callers, among offense, this inability to commit to the run. The Ravens, the Titans – and the Vikings are really, and maybe the Niners, they had a down year a year ago, but those four teams off the top of my head are the only ones I can think of that truly commit to the run and call the bluff of all of these teams playing light boxes, too high, smaller linebackers like this. I mean, just go back to the Super Bowl. Kansas City just refused to run the football and it, it cost them that game. We talked about the Eagles all year just because one of us on this podcast really loves Doug and Carson Wentz, and the other was just out on Doug Peterson. And they refused to run the football despite their running back have, averaging five yards a carry. So this is a league that, despite the elder statesman saying we got to establish the run, that's not where this league is at. It's not where it's heading. And teams like the Browns, are, I think, are – trying to parlay that into getting away with having smaller linebackers like JOK on the field, because they know that teams might run the ball a little bit early and whatnot, but when it comes down to it, they're trying to throw. And I'll end with this when it comes to labeling, identifying, figuring out what JOK is as a, in a, a position standpoint, Devin Bush, 5'11", 230, Devin White, six foot two thirty five both linebackers. Ronnie Harrison, 6'3", 215. JOK, 6'1", He's literally built as a the right in between the Bushes, the Whites, and a, and a safety like Ronnie Harrison. To Scott's point, he'll play the field linebacker, the weak side backer, the guy that you need the speed to cover against number disadvantages and cover the majority of the sideline. And because the NFL is not a running league anymore and, and I don't see it pivoting back to that or teams committing to it. I think the Browns can get away with this. And, and that clearly is their strategy going forward. Well, here, here's what, and here's what they might've been putting on that whiteboard. And, and if it was, if they're thinking about Tennessee or right, what do we do if, if we're playing Derrick Henry, what you do is you move a JOK back to safety and you take Grant Delpit off the field, because I don't know if Browns fans are prepared yeah. for this, but he's not a good tackler. And you've moved JOK back into that spot. Now you have somebody who is, who can still cover. And if, you know, it's play action or whatever, you're not losing uh, anything. You still have him on the field. So that's where his versatility comes into play. Maybe you can move him. You keep on the field while you bring on somebody who is bigger. Maybe, you know, you bring on Taki Taki and you do not take JOK off the field. Uh, you have Smith out there too. And you do not take JOK off the field. You know, maybe there's a look where they have four linebackers. We don't know. And that's when JOK technically becomes a safety. So it just gives them opportunities to do things like that. And yeah, I think Delpit's tackling ability could play into how they use JOK. And I guess if you're like, if you're playing a team that is running 12 personnel and doesn't have three receivers on the field, you could take Troy Hill off the field and put JOK in a spot, right? Where you're, you're not playing that slot corner. He's down on a tight. <clears throat> I don't know. That doesn't mean that doesn't well, make sense. But like you can find he's get so like he's multiple positions, Scott, right? Against a normal team, he's a smaller linebacker. Against a running team, he's a bigger safety. Against a right that he's would maybe when we look at his PFF grades at the end of the year and we're talking about oh where he lined up, are you expecting that he's gonna have a lot of different categories where he lined up in different spots in the field? You would think so. Um if they're going to, you know, use his versatility uh as much as they possibly can. 
And, you know, you mentioned the Ravens. They, like, he's a guy who you'd want on the field all the time against the Ravens. And not not necessarily as a, a quote-unquote run stopper, but the fact that they mostly play 11 personnel and they run out of it a ton. Um, I don't know if it went up or down last year, but I know it was, it was like, close to 70% or something in 20, 2019. So they spread out the fields. And that, in that situation, you want somebody who can – who can move like JOK and, and track down runners. It isn't so much, you know, huge formations and, and double tight ends and just slamming it up the middle. That's, you know, it's all situational when it comes to the kind of smash mouth running you were, you were mentioning earlier. All right. So the, here's the other question I have that I'm, I'm very curious about. We've talked a lot in general about, you know, whether the nickel defense will be the base defense for the Browns, whether their normal set will be two linebackers with John Johnson, Grant Delpit and Ronnie Harrison all on the field in a three safety look. Can you have that three safety look with JOK as one of the two linebackers? Or is that almost like now it's almost like you have three and a half safeties and one and a half linebackers. Like, is that too far that way? Or does, does it make more sense that, well, okay, we'd have two safeties, JOK with Walker and Smith or Walker and Phillips or whatever, that that he's the third linebacker who's like a safety. Or could you be that ver- could you be that light, maybe, Scott? That that's that's what we see a lot. Delpit, Harrison, Johnson, and JOK all on the field together against just a typical NFL offense. It'll depend on how well JOK adjusts to avoiding linemen if he's playing in the box. He's, I mean, obviously he handled himself uh, in college, but that was one of the things that people maybe had some concerns about, like how he's not somebody who's going to bowl his way through, through a lineman to get to the ball carrier. He has to move around them and avoid them. And can he do that in the NFL? If he can't, well, then, yeah, that's probably too small of a lineup. Ellis, what do you think? Can they, can, can, will we see that look JOK on the field with three safeties? I think it's definitely a possibility and maybe not in year one, but year two, year three, that could be the Browns best, strongest, most versatile look or deployment. Here's the thing that I'm really starting to like about the JOK pick. It's where they landed them. If this is a first round pick, it becomes more of a questionable experiment because at 52, this is no longer a guy that you'll ever, ever ask, require, or even try to build your defense around. He's a complimentary piece. Like Scott said, he is going to be deployed in a pairing that works best for him, where the safeties and the defensive backs behind him also benefit JOK at Notre Dame. I don't know enough about their defense completely, but you know, with a player like that, or a Buckus Award winner, he he probably is a, a, the focal point. And as we already said, the best player on the defense and a, a guy you can build your scheme around. You're not going to do that at the NFL, and that's what makes the Browns a perfect landing spot for him because his strengths can be extended, and then he isn't asked to carry a defense because Miles Garrett in the back end. Oh, in the secondary are going to do that. He's just a, a solid complimentary piece that they can build and groom. And if it, it, if it starts out shaky, like most rookies, Jacob Phillips, Patrick Queen, whatever, or linebackers, hybrids, whatever we're calling them, it, it's okay because they've got guys they can roll and shake and, and just keep people guessing defensively. Uh, I'm asking about you questions about this because like how often he's going to play and how he's going to get used is like the number one thing. Like all this other stuff is really interesting, but it's like, when's he going to be on the field? Is it maybe this? I'm trying to figure out exactly, Scott, how I'm processing all this stuff I'm learning from, from this discussion. If, the, if they have only two linebackers on the field a lot in 2021, is it maybe like Anthony Walker and Malcolm Smith are kind of the first guys up and Phillips is right behind Walker and JOK is right behind Smith. And then like in 2022, Phillips and JOK are their top two linebackers, but that those younger guys will still ease into these veterans ahead of them, which is why they signed Anthony Walker as a free agent and why they brought back Malcolm Smith because they didn't know they were going to draft you. Okay. But that they didn't want to in a super bowl run, put it all on these two young guys and that maybe we'll see Phillips and J. Okay. 
their roles increase during the course of the year, but they're not going to demand those guys like start from day one. Yeah, that's, I guess that's the hope. I mean, of any team that the guys who drafted, you know, those young guys are moving into those starting spots, but yeah, I look at Malcolm Smith as kind of guardian against them, not knowing what they could get out of the draft uh, in terms of, uh, of, of coverage at the linebacker spot. Uh, you need somebody who's a good tackler, who's decent against the run. That's where Walker fits in. Um, but yeah, I think sliding JOK into that Malcolm Smith spot makes a lot of sense. And remember, even if they do have three safeties on the field, it's not, they're not all going, it's not like they're playing three deep safeties, you know, like one or two of those guys are going to be up, you know, Ronnie Harrison or, or whoever, um, you know, Delpit might be in the slot or, you know, we saw a film of John Johnson playing up in the box and, and, and making tackles. So uh, when they do have three safeties, it's, you know, one of those guys is going to be like safety slash linebacker anyway. So um, yeah, I think, but I think the Smith spot is, is what's targeted for, for JOK and, you know, when we talked about the safeties earlier, it's they were going to have three safeties on the field because we figured those were three of their best players. Um, now you have another guy who's as versatile as, as anybody on the team. He's somebody they, they don't have. And now they have to figure out, is he also one of their best players? And if so, then they got to get him on the field. Okay. Last thing, I'll move on to this guy's point. I mean, I do think it makes sense that they have, you can only play 11 guys defensively at a time, but they really might have like 15 or 16 defensive starters right, who all kind of play the same amount of snaps and that there are guys that just like, well, we've got, you know, seven guys in the secondary and four or five guys at linebacker and three ends and three tackles and that, you know, they're all going to get their chances and whether they start or not, like JOK is going to have a role on this defense this year and it will probably grow over time. We could go nine hours on like, what about on second and seven against, the Chargers in week five, do you think it's like uh, – we can save that for July. I'll say this. Last year they had, what, five linebackers who all played over 350 snaps. That's probably not going to happen again this year because you have one guy who can take uh, a lot of those situational snaps away in JOK. Okay, so he is – the size is a little bit of a thing. It's something that at least needs to be discussed, Scott, and it's always one of these things. Are you a hybrid? Hybrid is like positive – connotations like hey you can do anything tweener is sort of a negative thing of like you're stuck in the middle and you're kind of nothing i can remember when darren lee got drafted out of ohio state as sort of like a really fast outside linebacker to ellis's point he was a first round pick by the jets which is a whole different ball of wax and then it was like he never he never worked like it was like well this he i think he ended up being a little more of a tweener than a hybrid where are we with that discussion in jok scott yeah, that's definitely one of the things that was consistently pointed out during the whole draft process, his size. And there were questions about whether or not NFL teams would be able to identify exactly what the right position was for him to play. The Browns clearly have a plan or else they wouldn't have taken him. Um, but his size, he measured at six foot one, 221 pounds at his pro day. That's small for a linebacker, 221 pounds, put him in the sixth percentile for his position, uh, his height, um, not as big a deal, but it's about the 50th percentile. Heights and weights of some other Browns linebackers. Walker, 6'1", 235. Taki Taki, 6'1", 238. Wilson, 6'1", 233. Smith, uh, is it 6'2", 225. And then Phillips, 6'3", 229. So other than Smith, you're looking at mostly 10 to 15 pounds lighter uh, than those guys for JOK. And PFF actually noted that JOK might become like actually the smallest linebacker in the NFL. Uh, when he was drafted. So, so there's that. Yes, he is small for a linebacker. What about safety? John Johnson, 6'1", 208. Grant Delpit, 6'2", 213. And as Ellis mentioned, Ronnie Harrison, 6'3", 214. By the way, fifth round draft pick, Richard LeCount, only 5'10", 196. You know, talk about tweeners. He's in between a safety and a... Uh, and a sports a... writer. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm bigger than him. Anyways... Um, he might have some more muscle tone than me. So you could, it's easy to see JLK is bigger than most safeties, smaller than most linebackers. That's where the tweener slash hybrid label comes in. Um, he's not the first linebacker, like you mentioned, Doug, to come to the NFL with size concerns. And the one that really stands out that's been mentioned, I guess, in kind of comparison with JLK is the Colts, Darius Leonard, who's become one of the best linebackers in the league. 
He's currently listed at 6'2", 230, and he was about 230 in college, but when he was a rookie, by the time the season started, he got down to almost 215. And then he went out and had an all-pro season. And the next year, he was at about 220. Um, again, pro bowler, he was an all-pro again this past season. So that's one guy, and that's a lofty comparison, but Leonard was also a second-round pick. Uh, in a lot of ways, he's what you're hoping you're going to get out of JOK. And I think JOK comes to the NFL with more hype and, I guess, accolades than Darius Dar- Leonard came from a small school. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he was not a big program guy. I think it was South Carolina, maybe. No, South Carolina State. I don't know. It was, I didn't write it down. I should have. But he comes with a, a little more to him than than Leonard did. And, and that's, I think, what you're hoping to get uh, with JOK, a guy who's undersized, but is able to do things and able to move sideline to sideline. The Browns aren't necessarily going to use JOK the way the Colts use Darius Leonard in their defense, but it's finding out the best way to use him based on his abilities. And the Browns seem like the kind of team that are going to do that. They're not the kind of team that tries to shove a square peg into a round hole. They're going to use you know, you can see what they've done on offense with, with players of different abilities. So Woods has another piece to use this season that they didn't have. We talked about this defense as being so much better even before the draft, how they had these three safeties and how they had all this versatility. And they were expected to be really good and a lot more improved, even without the draft. And now you've added somebody who's unlike anybody else on the roster and it's kind of, I'm, I'm excited to see how they use them. It's going to be one of the hugest storylines of training camp. We'll be tracking that the whole time, but yes, he is in between those two, but it seems like he found the right landing spot with the Browns. South Carolina state for Darius Thanks. Leonard. Um, I, I want to make one more quick comparison and we'll ask Ellis this tweener question, but I think it, it, it wasn't a size concern last year, but the tweeneriest guy in the draft a year ago on defense was Isaiah Simmons, who was a first round pick by the Arizona Cardinals. He's a different guy. He's 6'4, 230. He graded out at 59.9 on PFF last year. He only had two games where he played more than 35 snaps. He did not play very much early in the year. I wasn't watching every Cardinals game, but like I felt like they didn't know exactly what to do with him when he came into the league. And again, I, you know, he played Ohio state in college. He tore Ohio state up in the playoffs, right? It's like that guy's unlike anybody else. And then it didn't immediately translate. So that's just a tweener discussion of how do they figure out how to use him? So two questions and one for you, Ellis one, do you have legitimate concerns about JOK size or Scott laid out all the, you know, Darius Leonard's a great comparison. So that's a size question. And then do you have concerns of him falling through the crack as a tweener? Honestly, the answer to both those questions is no. And I think the Browns have made it quite clear that unless a player plays offensive or defensive line, they could really give a rip about your height and weight. Go out there and play football. Let the tape and perhaps some GPS tracking data show that you can get sideline to sideline, that you can get under blocks, that you can shed uh, offensive or defensive players, that you can break on passes, that you have – play recognition all, all the the intangible stuff that make up a football player is what they're looking for uh, on the perimeter at linebacker at safety receiver running back tight end I think those are the traits they value much more than really what we lay down as height and weight Mel Kuyper made a great point at the draft this past weekend and maybe he says it every year this is just <clears throat> by far the closest we've we've ever I've ever paid attention to the draft he said once these guys get in the league aside from the linemen, essentially, and even the linemen, we don't talk about their height and weight anymore. We talk about pro bowls and all pros and stats and, and maybe the round they went in, but that's about it. The draft is the only time height and weight matters. So I'm not worried about his size. I'm not worried about him being a tweener. I'm worried about his development and I'm worried about just his actual abilities as a football player. And and Scott's right. It's going to be the largest, one of the largest storylines in training camp. And honestly, that's going to start this weekend in, in rookie minicamp, just watching where he is at all times. And I, I would answer no to that too, uh, because largely because of the team he's on right. and the fact that he is not coming here to be like the savior of the defense. He's coming to a team that has depth and has guys who are kind of, you know, they, they, they address their starting issues in free agency. So everything else after that is just kind of bonus really. And 
like I said, he's somebody who can do things no one else can do, but he doesn't have to go out there and necessarily do them every snap. They're not under pressure to, to make sure that he's, you know, like the focal point of anything on defense. So uh, last thing I'll cover, and we went long on this, but just he's, he's so interesting that uh, this is an old guy story. There is a thing about guys falling in the draft sometimes, right? That it, like you can view it either way. You can view it as like, man, he's fallen. Why is everybody else turning him down? You're the team that catches him. Like, did you get suckered, right? That everybody else was smarter than you. Or it's like everybody else is stupid. And like, you were like, hey, we'll take the great player. My old guy story isn't, I can remember very vividly the, the time that I remember about this. When I was working uh, in Philadelphia, the 2004 NBA draft, I can remember being at this Philadelphia 76ers. Ellis, were you born? The Philadelphia 76ers draft night thing, waiting for the draft to unfold. And this wasn't a second round pick, but they had the ninth overall pick in that draft. And there was this guy that everybody assumed would be gone. He kind of just like fell to them and they took him. And it was like, okay, I guess just take the guy who falls to you. And it was Andre Iguodala. And it was like, in the moment, it was like, okay, I don't know that this was anybody's plan, but like, why is he here? Take him. And it's like, oh, okay, well, he's in the NBA 17 years later. So, you know, sometimes everybody else is dumb and you are just smart enough to take what's there and maybe even trade up a couple spots to do it. It's a great point. And for that reason, and one more piece I want to add to, I think that's why Andrew Barry really can't lose in this situation. And we haven't even seen him go on the field. First of all, first off, you respect the process. This is a guy they considered at 26. He gets all the way to 52 and then they make pull the trigger to move up. They don't do that. Maybe he goes 53, 54. I don't know. And then we're not even talking about this. So you respect the process there. This breakdown, the first half of it has confirmed that you respect the theory of smaller hybrid tweener linebackers working in the league. So you, that box is checked and then it's a, it's a low grade risk and it's really going to come down to the coaches developing them. And Andrew Barry doesn't play much of a role in that. So I think the process is, is quite foolproof proof based on the way the league is trending where you got him and then the decision to move up and pull the trigger at 52. Maybe JOK is part of a Browns lineup of death on, on defense the way Iguodala went on to, to, I to like become that. Part of that with the Warriors, you know? I mean, we've talked that people mentioned about positionless basketball and, you know, that the way versatility is being uh, championed in the NFL now, maybe that's the, the way it, it's, it's going on, especially on defense. You know, you want guys who can do different things and Browns can have their own lineup of death. I thought I was the NBA guy here, but my <laughs> colleagues making back-to-back great hoops analogies. I completely agree. I love that, Scott. My mind is blown by that. Like if that's what, <laughs> instead of calling him a tweeter, we're going to call him a small ball linebacker. Now that make now there it sounds go. like, now it sounds like you're a genius. Oh, he's a small ball linebacker. It's no big deal. Everybody I mean, can like, cover everybody. I mean, no, if be, Scott, be, yeah, you're, 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 everybody switches, switch. Yeah. Be careful with that, Doug. You might want to trademark that. I could see line, <laughs> linebackers wearing s- small ball backer t-shirts and it becoming a whole thing. We might've came up with yet another million dollar idea here. On I mean, if Scott, if Scott, in the next three days has a post on the site of the 11 players who would constitute the Browns lineup of death on defense. I mean, I'm, I am ready for that, Uh, man. Sometimes you just talk long enough and ideas, ideas just come out, man. I mean, that is, that is miles scared at defensive tackle. And (laughs) it is, it's like Draymond playing the five. It's like, Oh, we got miles defensive tackle. It's like, we're good. Uh, He's a, you know, he's a, He's a, you know, he's a, he's a stretch defensive end and he can be a small ball tackle. Like, yeah, that's, I mean, like we're just, we're, we're changing the game on got to watch the tape. All right. That went a little bit long, but like, that's because he's like three players in one and we had to cover all the bases. I know more than I did before this podcast started, which is always the intention. on got to watch the tape. When we come back film time with Ellis Williams, we'll be right back after this. Back on got to watch the tape. Doug Scott Ellis film time. Ellis Williams dive in. I got to watch the tape. Yeah, I'm really enjoying our layout here. And listeners, I hope you are as well. I think Scott does a great job of just peeling back and, and presenting the prospect for what they are. And then the film complements and, and it's just the, the cherry on top, I hope, to put his numbers, his data, his research and, and give it even more life. And again, what Scott says always shows up on tape for me. That's what works so well. And got to watch the tape in these exercises. We're going to watch seven plays all from Notre Dame, Alabama. I tried to group them 
in in similar like plays, but this rolls from first quarter to fourth quarter. So there is, will be a little bit of overlap, um, but let's just dive right into it. This first play um, is JOK against a, an Alabama weak side front. He's playing the field linebacker position. And again, I don't have the timestamps, but we're going to, we're going to get a video on the website for you guys. And this is just uh, rolling from the first quarter through the end of the game. JOK playing weak side backer. And as we said in the first part of the, the dive, this is where he will likely play. This is where his speed, where you put your fastest linebacker. The weak side is uh, problematically a spot for defenses where they're exposed. That's why it's the weak side. You can pull a, a guard. All of a sudden, it's a numbers disadvantage. There's more field to that side, especially in college. You need guys that can run. So on this first play... This is JOK moving from weak side backer and coming into the box to make a run stop. And Scott mentioned how he needs to avoid linemen. He does a great job doing that here. This is this whole exercise. You're going to see Alabama gain a lot of yards and that's because they're Alabama. This is still a positive run play. They almost pick up the first down, but as we run it, notice JOK right on the snap, recognize the pulling guard. He drives on it, gives the guard a little head fake, he has no chance. The guy's so wide that he almost does his job anyway. And the left side of Alabama's line does an excellent job sealing that they're going to gain positive yards here. But JOK gets hands on, grabs cloth. And this is going to be – and slides down and, and really makes an ankle tackle. And that is going to be a reoccurring theme. Scott mentioned it in his first part of the dive. He's not a good tackler. But I will highlight why that is going to be okay for him and really what his greatest strength is on defense. This, again – his ability to shut a lineman and still make a play again against a loaded Alabama offense. And that's Najee Harris, a guy he'll have to tackle twice a year. Now this next play, can I, can this, I, can I jump in just cause I want to say like, that's the whole point that like, this is Najee Harris. Who's like a big physical running back. And he didn't like meet him in the hole, like two Rams button heads together. He like shimmied in from the side and made an ankle tackle. And it's like a size didn't matter. And that's that 350-pound yeah. Deontay Brown guard guy who's like the biggest guard that anybody's ever seen in the history of the world. And it's like, what's he going to do against a monster guard? It's like he's going to like juke step him and go right around him. It's, it didn't matter how much he weighed on that play. Sorry about that. But that was a, seemed like a classic. Uh, he could be 165 there. He wiggled around everybody and made an ankle tackle and, and made the play. Right. And that's why I think what the Browns are betting on. They don't, it's not about height. It's not about weight. It's about being a football player. How can you get from point A to point B and, and make a football play? This next one is exactly what he brings to a defense that is trying to compete with a team like the Ravens. Lamar Jackson loves getting the edge. When you're, when you're the fastest player on the field, it's where you're the most comfortable, right? This also think Tyreek Hill on an end around here. This is Devonta Smith who's going to get a little pitch and in the interior rush here really helps JOK, but watch as he flushes and just works to the sideline. He recognizes, I love that initial right when Devonta gets the ball, that, that side shimmy, he does right around the line of scrimmage. That's just great technique. He sets, he evens himself shoulders parallel to the line of scrimmage, shuffle, shuffle, sees the block, takes it on. He's the first, again, Najee Harris out there lead blocking. That's a big dude. He's the first to make contact and he's able to shed Najee Harris off. He gets to this edge and now DeMonte Smith doesn't have a lot of options, right? Again, a missed tackle, but that's okay. You forced DeMonte Smith both to hesitate and decide, am I going to break back inside where all of Notre Dame's defenders are? Or do I keep trying to work outside? The play goes nowhere and you see the fist pump celebration because JOK knows that was his play to make guys. We just saw, and we're going to see it really the whole breakdown, but really his speed come to life, whether it's in the hole or getting to the sideline, that's what he brings. It just feels like that's such a play, Ellis, of you can imagine that if he's the disruptor, you disrupt it and then let like John Johnson and Denzel Ward and Ronnie Harrison and Miles Garrett and Anthony Walker, like all come help you finish it off. Yeah. Right, Scott? It's like you could see, you know, the – the defensive linemen are running down the line, like chasing Devontae Smith from behind there. But if no, if there's not a guy at the point of attack who disrupts it and slows it all down, Devontae Smith gets the edge and he goes just like you throw JOK, like a cannonball into the mix. And then you get all the help. Cause as you said at the beginning, Scott, he's not the savior. He's got dudes. He's got dudes who are going to have his back. Just mess them up and slow them down a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the quickness on both these uh, plays, it just stands out and just makes me think of what the Browns didn't have last year. And I remember watching like clips of Malcolm Smith and he would he would do well to avoid blockers to get in the backfield. But by the time he got there, the running back had already hit the hole and he's behind the play, you know, and he's not in a position to make that tackle. And we saw multiple teams uh, get out wide on the Browns uh, and the middle of the field, whoever would be in it, just not able to get out there and cover that space. And uh, that's what JOK brings. And yeah, he's not going to be asked to be the savior of the defense, but if you can have that on the field for the majority of the plays, that's, that's huge. And even with all the other upgrades they've made to the defense, if you have a linebacker who's able to string out a play, like, like the second one or, or able to, to, to dive in and make that tackle for, you know, for the two yard gain, instead of chasing the play, that's, that's just a huge step forward for the defense. Yeah. And, and that's what his primary role is going to be. I Again, it's a complimentary piece because when he becomes a focal point or the offense picks on him and makes him a focal point, we run into some problematic situations. And this, again, keep in mind, this is Alabama. And like the Greg Newsom tape, I'm going to show you the good, the bad, and the meh. That was the good. Here comes the bad. These next two reps, and 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 I could have put the, the Devonta Smith play on here where he does drop in coverage really well. And I will say that, he is a very good straight line runner. It's the change of direction. And when he's forced to, again, be the primary guy on a play where you can, you can find some issues. So on this next play, he's going to fall for some play action and let a guy get behind him in his own set. Again, he's the weak spot, weak side linebacker there. Alabama is got a single receiver set, but there's so much pre-sam motion here. This is really a, a two by two. You can even call it a, a, a three by two if you want. And he just gets caught in no, man, no man's land here. He takes the run fake. He, he's, there's no way this play ends well for him. He, either Mac Jones can throw the check down flare to the receiver uh, hitting the hash right now, or what they do is they throw the, the slant right behind him, and, and that's just a huge pickup. And that's Alabama offense. I get it. These things happen. It's not 100% on him, but I'm, I can promise you that when they went down and broke down this tape, they circled where JOK was standing and you're guarding nobody right when Mac Jones pulls that ball out and your left foot is on the line of scrimmage right there. And that ball is behind you. You're turning around and you you know, that's on you. So that's him getting lost in, in zone coverage. This next one is a, is a tough look in man again, Alabama specifically covering JOK. And as I said, I could have put on the Louisville tape. I could have put on the Georgia tech tape. I could have put on the Pittsburgh tape, but this is, what he's going to see in, in an NFL level and against offenses when you try to deploy him in the slot. This is a simple three by one, the same type of formation that he did great against Devonta Smith. And then that one rep, this is a lesser receiver running a change of direction route, a deep out and Mac Jones stares him down. And, and, and this is his guy from the start. He goes off screen for a bit here for the majority of the route, but you see enough to tell what he does at the snap he, the receiver breaks inside, gets leverage on JOK. He tries to get hands on. He loops so far inside, like right there on, on the Rose emblem, really. And then by the time the ball's out, he clearly broke back under JOK, started with an inside release to get back out, spun him around. And that's a clean, you know, 13 yard gain. And, and, and it just is what it is. You, you play another down, but that is two examples, both zone and man, where when you put him in a bind and, and, and make him be a one-on-one stopper. That's not his strength. I don't think the Browns plan on using him like that, but there there's going to be weaknesses on every defense. And this is just better offense here by Alabama. So the, the first play is the reason that Steve Sarkeesian is now the head coach of Texas and Mac Jones is now the quarterback for the Patriots. They RPO'd the world to death and they RPO'd JOK to death on that play too. Stuff happens, man. Yeah. But the other thing I, I mentioned that, that second play because that's Notre Dame in a base defense. That's three linebackers against three receivers for Bama where you ask that outside linebacker to go cover the slot receiver like that. And the Browns won't do that, right? Like how often is JOK going to be sort of in over a slot receiver in the NFL, Scott? Now it's like, will that, will that happen on occasion or will they really be 
sub packaging their way out of situations where they just won't ask him to do that. You would think that they would have a couple guys in the field who are first in line to do that. Obviously Troy Hill um, is out there, but also uh, one of the safeties might be a choice before JOK in that situation, especially if they have three of them on the field. So yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't know how often that's going to, I don't know how often Notre Dame played zone, but um, the Browns did play a lot of zone uh, last year. So again, those man-to-man reps aren't as plentiful for, for a Browns defender uh, as, as they might've been at Notre Dame too. But I think there are guys who were before him, you know, on the depth chart of who's going to go cover that slot receiver. Yeah. And I'm not scared of that lineup or that position you start him at defending the slot. If the Browns are on the goal line, you know, that's heavy or just, you know, a condensed field. I trust him in short yardage situations against the slot perhaps, but I don't foresee the Browns asking him to play, you know, man coverage against the number three receiver in this league at midfield. There's no way he'll be a, one of those two linebackers inside, and that's going to be a safety or a DB. I completely agree. So when we get to these, we're going to get through these next three, and these next three plays are really just a a la carte, pick what you want. It's a little bit of everything. This next one, again, in his original, his same spot, weak side linebacker, kind of an overhang defender here because of Alabama's bunch formation. And this, again, just highlights his sideline to sideline speed. He reads bubble immediately on the snap, those lateral steps. I just, I love it. And he even gains depth while remaining lateral in a way with how he takes on this block and he loses the block right away. I mean, look how quickly he gets pushed back by that Bama tight end, but then the speed unlocks immediately. He chucks him aside, drives on the ball again, forcing a cutback. He doesn't make the play. He's in on the tackle and, and Alabama still almost gains a first down, but this is again, why he's a complimentary piece and not your all around, I'm going to solve all your problems. He flushes people back. And imagine that's Miles Garrett on pursuit. You know, we've seen Miles on, on sideline throws like this pursue. And in the NFL, be careful when you cut back because there are much larger athletes ready to meet you. He's That Bama receiver is getting smacked in the league, and, and it's because of JOK on that rep. This next one, this is another example of him, again, not making the play, but I really – Love the the range he shows here. Again, overhang defender, field starting spot, a, a, a single receiver look from Alabama. At the snap, he, re, he does a really good job here of reading play action, but not committing to it. He's just going to let it read. Okay, once he recognizes that the ball is now staying with Mac Jones and his drop is starting, look at him turn, run, and find his zone. This is... Probably should have been a catch, and, and JOK doesn't get there. He really doesn't do a whole lot to make this play be incomplete. I just like where he gets. I mean, if you freeze frame the start of the play and the end of the play and the time in which he got there, that's what you're looking for out of this linebacker. And I believe that with better coaching and just more reps, he'll start that drop even sooner. He'll, he won't worry about the play fake. He'll recognize the play faster and he'll get there. Perhaps that's an interception. I mean, that is a ridiculous play if he makes that interception and that's the next level up. That's how you get there. This last play. And this is, this was one of the last reps in the fourth quarter. Uh, Alabama goes on to win this game large, like 34, 10, something like that. He's in the slot here. And this is just him coming out of blitz. And this is again, the, the versatility that he shows Joe Woods is really going to be able to do whatever he wants with this young man. Nothing happens. He comes screaming. Mac Jones gets the ball away. It's incomplete, but that is the range that this kid can play with. Drop him, set him on a blitz, feel confident in him setting the edge. You're not running bubble. You're not running jet sweep against him. And then as with a creation guy like Lamar Jackson, Lamar creating versus JOK creating, it's going to be a fun read and react type of thing. And that's why JOK is on this roster, read and reacting sideline to sideline and, and an ability to get depth and, and really be able to thrive in that one spot and trust a weak side linebacker with the speed to get sideline to sideline. Quick break. JOK wrap up next. on got to watch the tape. All right, back Scott, those last three plays, it just, he gets to spots on the field where you can imagine other guys playing that same position. Just don't even get to that spot. Yeah. Seeing him get out into the flat and uh, that first play, I, that just like the Cowboys seem to attack that part of the field last season. And Somebody who can do what he did there is big against the Steelers who throw a lot of screens to their wide receivers, just a lot of short passes in space in general. 
Um, so that's good to see. And I think uh, as far as blitzing goes, we've talked before about how the Browns were one of the least blitzing teams in the NFL. But now that you have guys who can cover better, uh, maybe a better pass defense overall, maybe now you, know, you can pump that up a little bit. You can use someone like him who obviously excelled at blitzing in college and has the quickness and the speed to, to do stuff like that. And you're not sacrificing maybe as much as you would have been last season if you had somebody, you know, rushing at the quarterback like that. Yeah. And, and to that point, Scott, I, I love the two things you said there, Washington. Yeah. Washington. Through, yep. Through sideline and through bubble because of the sl- slow speed. And then Dallas took that game plan. And when it comes to what JOK is going to be able to do in terms of Pittsburgh and, and the quick game like that, and, and the options that Joe Woods has, imagine Troy Hill lining up, and that number three slot corner and JOK as the weak side linebacker inside of him, you can blitz Troy Hill and trust JOK to drop and fill that spot. Troy Hill vacates and the quarterback doesn't see it coming. It just, it adds so many layers to your defense and what you do on the back end of it. I really do like they're, they're going to have to make sure, as you said, Ellis, that like everybody backside pursues because like JOK is going to muck stuff up. hundred percent. Cause that's how you turn little, bubbles and swing passes into 60 yard gains It's because you get it out there and the guy gets going so fast before anybody can get in position. And like, if JOK can just get out there and slow everybody down, right. He's not the guy in the fight. He doesn't have to be the guy who, who comes up and punches the other guy in the face, but he can be the guy who comes up and says, Hey, my guy's going to kick your butt. Wait till he gets here. You. And then miles comes up behind him and miles finishes it off. And then JOK says, yeah, I told you. Right. But He's like the hype man for the defense. He's the hype man. Yeah, I was like, gonna chill, say just chill everybody out so that it's not instantaneous turbo rocket ship stuff in one second. And then let all these other playmakers on the defense do their job. I really, the, the early disruptor who just lets everybody else get in position, you can see how he is maybe among Brown's defenders, like uniquely qualified to do things like this. I love that, Doug. JOK is the loyal friend at the bar that says, what, you're going to fight me and all my friends and, and all my <laughs> friends? You're going to try and get a first down against me and all my teammates? I'll be the first one there, and I'm going to run you right back into Miles Garrett. I couldn't agree more. That's what the Browns see. He's so, the flavor flavor of the, of the defense, <laughs> I think is what it is. We're on fire this morning. Uh, so in the end, again, I always like to wrap up. You guys put in all this work, right? You You dig into numbers. You dig into film. You have – perceptions before you start but then you know in the end we'll start with you Scott as we wrap up did you come away like liking the pick more more intrigued with JOK like after all of this how was your how was your view on JOK affected um honestly it was about the same as it was before I started just because the fact that we we were paying attention to him before the draft because he was a guy who was targeted a lot but it did confirm that you know that yeah all the like you know, the things that you saw in the heap with Ellis, it's, it's the stuff that, that draft scouts had, had been writing about. And it's the things that the, that the PFF grades and, and stats say he is. And it's, he's not the perfect player that they're going to plug into this defense. But like I said, he's somebody that they don't have. He's, he's the kind of player they don't have. And now the fun part is figuring out how to best use him. And I came away, I guess, as excited as I was before to, to see how they do use them. Yeah. I tend to like these guys if they're decent players more as I watch the tape, because, you know, you do such generic film reviews before the draft. And then once you know who you're studying, you really dive deep on these guys. I will say this. I landed at a place where I lowered my expectations for him, especially in year one, which is completely fine. But I heightened both my understanding of why he was picked at 52 and I, his potential for me grew. I, I completely understand his ceiling. And the floor is a bit scary, but that's fine because he's not going to be asked to be a guy. If the floor is bad, he just won't be out there. And then that this defense honestly probably is going to be okay with or without JOK, especially early. Let's let's bet on that upside and see what he be, can become. That's, that, that's a sound strategy in the draft, especially when you're adding a, a piece like JOK on a defense that though – doesn't need does need some things it doesn't need a a stud linebacker clearly with how they're building i do like that idea of maybe lower your expectations a bit if you think they got a steal he's like a first round pick he's gonna 
like, don't, don't really think of him like that, but just think about the interesting ways that he can be used and help this defense sort of in specific situations. And then they can unleash him. And again, it's down the line, get to us in, in 2023 and 2024 and, and JOK might be, might be a pro bowler. I don't know, but that's, but he also can help right now. All right. Another great dive. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Again, we were, we were Friday this week instead of Thursday. We'll expect to be back on Thursday next week with more breakdowns on got to watch the tape. Listen to the orange and Brown talk uh, podcast five days a week. We love that you guys are part of it. Read cleveland.com slash Browns for Ellis Williams, for Scott Patsko. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on got to watch the tape.